Hello, you're listening to Her Hacks Podcast, a podcast by women in cybersecurity for everyone. I'm Lauren. And I'm Christine. In today's Her Hack, we're going to talk about how you can get the best job offer out there. Lauren and I recently negotiated some pretty sweet job offers, and we want to share that advice with all of you. So let's get into it. Just to note, this is our final episode in the Hacking the Interview Process series. If you want to know about the hacks that we have to share throughout the rest of the interview process, check out the earlier episodes linked in our show notes. Okay, so you've made it this far. You killed the interview hacker, and now this company wants to give you an offer. Congratulations. So most likely, you'll get some kind of first verbal offer letting you know that they want to hire you for the job. And they might give you some key highlights like salary, 401k, and vacation days. But just because you have an offer doesn't mean you're necessarily at the end of the process. You need to get the best offer for you. And a job offer isn't just comprised of salary. Yes, salary is important because that's how you pay your bills. But there are a ton of other things that you need to think about when you're considering a job offer. Also, this is really important and something that Lauren brought up. Before you commit to anything, before you sign your name on the dotted line, make sure you get the offer in writing. So don't sign anything from a recruiter If you haven't actually gotten a paper offer and you want to see the numbers in writing, don't cancel your other interviews until you have that paper offer in hand. And honestly, I would say until you've formally accepted the other job offer, you probably shouldn't even cancel your other interviews. Yes, definitely. It is so important to read over a written offer fully and carefully so you make sure that you're getting the best offer. And we're going to cover how and why you should read over the offer and then how to negotiate to make sure that you're getting the best package for you in your life. So some of the things that we're going to cover today, we're going to talk about base salary, annual bonuses, rewards, stock bonuses, sign-on bonuses, 401k matching, tuition reimbursement, student loan reimbursement, employee stock purchase program, gym memberships, health insurance, perks, vacation time, holiday time, parental or maternity leave, travel, and a bunch of other stuff because there is so much stuff in a job offer to go over. And all of that should be laid out for you in your written offer. Yeah, actually, I had a situation where I had a job offer one time where the information that the recruiter had told me wasn't actually true and it had to do with the 401k. And it wasn't until I was reading the written offer benefits that I realized that what I was told was wrong. Remember, a verbal offer, because sometimes people misspeak, sometimes they don't know the policy or the policies change, it might not match the written offer and your job is going to be what's in writing, not what you were told. So you have to make sure that you get it in writing and that you read it thoroughly. Lately, what's been happening is sometimes companies hit a recession and a job offer can be rescinded. And the thing is, if it's a verbal offer, they're not as bound to a contract as they would be if it was a signed offer that you had already signed or already been given. So because of that, it could be rescinded. So that's just something to keep in mind that a verbal offer, while it's great and can be used as leverage, it might, I guess, burst into nothing. (laughs) Why don't we start with the thing that is probably the first thing that everybody looks at when they're getting a job offer, and that is salary and total compensation? Yes. So I definitely think the most important thing in a job offer is salary because that's how you're going to pay your bills. Yes. And it's the thing that's going to grow over time. So we're going to put give you guys a few her hacks for this episode. And our first her hack is to know your number. You need to know how much money you need. That includes money for things like your cost of living. How much do do you need to make rent to feed your family? Christina and I both have pets, so to feed our dogs or, you know, pay your her hacks monthly subscription to our Patreon. (laughs) Yeah, pay your her hacks monthly subscription to our Patreon. And remember that while stock options and equity are good options, They don't pay the bills because that's not cash in hand. That's not money going into your bank account every few weeks or every month, however you're you're getting paid. Exactly. Trader Joe's does not accept stock for groceries. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of stock, stock sometimes goes down. So even though maybe it was like $100 of stock last 
last week. This week, it could only be 50 because the market has just taken a turn for the worse. So you want to know how much money do you need to live because everything else on top of that is kind of just bonus because if they're paying you and a bunch of stock and salary and the compensation is six figures, but in reality, your salary is maybe only $20,000 a year or only $50,000 a year, you might not be able to afford to live. You can't necessarily trade that equity in for anything of value while you're just working at the company until you know they hit it big so it's really important because especially at like some companies you can't necessarily count on getting raises all the time like in startups you need to make sure that you have enough for what you need in that role yeah and I would also say when you're thinking about your total number, you need to also know how much wiggle room you can give yourself so that if you do find the job of your dreams, but they maybe their salary isn't competitive as one of a like a bigger, more established company, if you know that wiggle room, that will help you in your negotiations because you know that you can maybe accept an offer for $10,000 less than your number because you can still live off of that number. It just kind of gives you like your range and it, it can help you be more confident going into those negotiations because you have an absolute, this is what I need and I cannot accept anything lower than that. So you have some pretty good advice about confidence, Lauren, and it's a tip that people going into a salary negotiation can use so that they don't feel uncomfortable because talking about money can be really uncomfortable. I think the biggest thing when you're finding your number and once you have that number is to say your number out loud and keep saying it out loud again and again until you can say it confidently and comfortably. Like if you're going in and you're saying, I need $200,000 to live. Wow, good, good for you. But you need to be able to say that, hey, I am expecting $200,000 for this role, which is a lot of money. So I feel like our natural inclination is to be like, at least for me, um, uh, I think, you know, and you're less likely to get what you want. Um, And Wells Fargo actually did a survey and they actually found women have a much harder time talking about personal finances compared to men. 50% of women have difficulty as opposed to 38%. So if you practice that and say it confident, you say it loud, it's going to make you feel better going into that negotiation and it's going to give you more power because you are advocating for yourself. Exactly. So when I most recently was negotiating for a job offer, the market was pretty crazy and I knew what some of my friends had been getting offered. So I knew what a fair number was for the roles I was looking for. A headhunter reached out to me. So I told him, hey, I'm looking for like this number total compensation. And he laughed at me. But because I was confident, because I was like, well, I know that people are getting mm-hmm. paid this amount. Like, I don't know why you're laughing. I know people <laughs> who've been offered this. Yeah. So like, like he laughed, but then actually he did connect me with a role that was offering that. So I think that some pe- some people just don't know. And so don't let people try to convince you that you need less money or that you deserve less money. That is such a good point. And Christine, you just said you talked to some friends. Do you have any advice? Like what is the best way to find your number? How do you do the research? Yeah. So her hack number two, how the heck are you supposed to know your number? You have to do your research. And something that's can be really helpful if you're already in the field or if you know people in the field is to talk to your friends. But a lot of us don't know people. Going into this field, I didn't know anybody. So before I got into the cybersecurity field, I didn't have friends that I could ask about their salaries and to Mm -hmm. find out. And I didn't have coworkers that I could ask about salaries. And I really had no benchmark. But you can actually do research using free online tools. Things like Blind, Glassdoor, and Levels.fyi are great resources search tools that people crowdsource their salary information and share it. So you can look for somebody at the company you applied to or at similar companies that you applied to with the exact same level of experience as you and find out how much money they're making. Something else that I also did, because maybe you are going to school in the Midwest and the cost of living is really low, but it's your dream to move to New York City. The cost of living is a huge difference between Mm -hmm. Midwest 
and New York City. So you can't compare the Midwest job offer salaries with the New York City job offer salaries because the cost of living is so much higher. So something that you can do is use like online cost of living calculators. And that's even information that you can use as a negotiation point. Because if you've done the research, you can be more confident and you know how much you need to live and you know how much a job pays. So yeah, I definitely recommend going online, doing cost of living calculators, trying Mm -hmm. to especially if it's your first job, figure out how much it's going to cost to live in that city. Look at like average rent. And I always guesstimate high because life throws things at you and everything is always going to be really expensive. Gas is going to double (laughs) in price per gallon. Maybe rent is going to skyrocket. Like there's maybe a pandemic's going to (laughs) hit. I will say even take into account taxes, like plug in your number into a tax calculator and figure out for where you want to live, what you're actually going to take home. Like my first job, that was a rude awakening when I got that first paycheck. I was like, why is it so small? Like, I know what I'm expected to make every month. And it's because I didn't include federal and state taxes being taken out of it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. If you're making six figures, you're not really making six figures until you're making six figures after tax. And tax is very expensive for us that aren't billionaires. So <laughs> <laughs> you have to make sure that your after tax salary can pay your bills. Yes, definitely. Just curious, Christine, do you talk to your coworkers about salary at all? Or is that something you kind of keep closer? So it depends. It depends on how close I am mm-hmm. to them. I definitely feel like at every job that I've had, I have talked to people about salary and it does kind of ruffle feathers, I feel yes. like, um, because people find out that there's huge discrepancies in salaries. So I've helped interns when I was at a job and I'm like, hey, don't take less than this, even if what they were offered is like 10K more than what I was making, because I'm like, I know another person that was offered this. So like, even though I'm not at the top, I want everybody else to be at the top. Yeah. One time there was a situation where I told somebody how much they should be making. Um, and it was great because they got offered like, I think it was like 15K more than me, which is like really great. Mm-hmm. But then they kind of felt like they got that because they somehow earned it. Mm. And I'm like, well, I told you how to negotiate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I told you how much to ask for because you were going to ask for like way less than that. So I don't know. I think I was a little frustrated after that. So yeah, I've talked about salary it does bring up feelings of jealousy, I think. Mm -hmm. And after that, I was frustrated because I was like, wow, I helped you. And now you think that you did this on your own. And I felt a little unappreciated. But that hasn't really stopped me, I think, from like helping people. I don't know. I feel like the more good karma you put out in the world, the more it will come back to you. Oh, that's such a good way to look at it. Because I used to get so frustrated because at one of my previous companies, the starting salary was the same for everybody and it it varied by location, but I could very easily find that information out. And it was so frustrating being like three years into my career and seeing them basically be the same. And I was always so angry about it, but you have such a better way of looking at it. That's so good. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of co-pays went towards this mindset. Yes. (laughs) But Um. (laughs) that just shows how important it is to do the research because, you know, there can be varying levels and have varying ranges of salary. And I think personally, we should destigmatize asking about money. When I was job hunting, I texted a bunch of my friends who were in engineering and software specifically. I was like, hey, I know you're in a position similar to what I want. Can I ask what you're making? Totally fine if you say no, but I'm trying to figure out my jumping off point and what's fair to ask. And I think everybody I texted was very open with me and, and shared their numbers. Yeah, I definitely, I feel like I have an advantage now because I know numbers. And so I've been helping a lot of people negotiate their job offers now. And I'm like, hey, here were my exact numbers. Now Mm -hmm. you know how much it should be. Because part of it also is I kind of feel like I have to pay it forward because I actually had really helpful information when I was negotiating my first ever job offer. I had no idea what I was doing. So I kind of felt the need to pay it forward because when I was in college, I watched this National Center for Women in Technology and CWIT webinar where this really awesome guy, Matthew Wallert, was giving 
information about how to negotiate your salary. And he actually talked about doing the research. So I basically I watched his webinar and then I emailed him because I wanted to get more help in negotiating my salary because I had gotten my dream job, but I just like wasn't sure what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so he actually emailed me back. And even though he was on paternity leave, he iterated with me multiple times on negotiating my salary. And I was just like so grateful. And so he was like, I was like, is there anything I can do to thank you? Like, this is so great. And he was like, just pay it forward. So now I'm like, I definitely want to keep paying it forward and just keep helping other people negotiate their salaries. Oh, that's awesome. We've got knowing your number, her hack number one, know your number, her hack number two, do your research. And then for her hack number three, don't give a number to a recruiter. And I know this sounds a little counterintuitive because we just made you do all of the research to come up with your number and to really solidify your number. But just because you know your number doesn't mean you need to give it out. And I would say the reason for this is that you may have done a lot of excellent research and come up with a number, but the company might be able to offer you more than the number that you came up with. So instead of saying your specific number. I think if you use language like give me the best offer that you can for this role, that'll oftentimes get you a better number and then you're not constrained to your number. And then when you get the actual offer, you can take a look and you can compare, okay, they gave me this number. Here is my number. Do these align? Should I ask for more? Am I content with this? And kind of go from there. Yeah, I completely agree. You do not want to give a number first because sometimes the recruiter will use that and offer you less money because it is advantageous for the business to get the really awesome you for the job at a discount. Mm-hmm. It's bad for you, but good for the company. So if the the mid for the role is $100,000 and you're like 80, they might give you 80 even though they can afford to pay you $100,000 mm-hmm. and you don't want that. Yeah. And by the time you're at the offer process, that means that the company likes you enough to extend an offer. And so if your number ends up being a little bit higher than what they can offer or at the top end of their um, salary band, they're probably more likely to give you that number because they have invested so much time in your interview process and they like you as a candidate. Whereas if you give the number early on, it might be off-putting or they might not bring you back because they don't think they can meet your salary negotiations. And so they just have more incentive towards the end of the interview process to work with you to get you to come to their company because they already know they want you there. Exactly. Especially if the team really likes you, they might bump you up a level to get you into the salary range that you need to be at. So it's super important to make sure that you know your number, but you don't tell it to anyone. (laughs) Yes. So the last thing you need to do is be confident. Remember, you did the research, you know your number, and you didn't say it first. So you made the recruiter lay all their cards out on the table and you're not showing yours yet. So it's going to be a lot easier to negotiate that way because you know what your cards are, but you're not showing them on the table yet. Yeah. And you know, uh, you know your worth, right? You've gotten to the point where you know what you need. You know, this company likes you, you know, they want you for the role and you know your experience and the value that you can bring for the role. And now what you're doing is really doing the dance of figuring out, okay, what can this company offer me to make me want to accept this job? You know, we've, this section has been a lot about salary, but it really isn't just about salary because there are other really important benefits that make up a compensation package and make up an offer and make up like the culture of a company that you also need to consider. So why don't we go ahead and jump into talking about benefits and what to consider from that perspective. Yes, that's really important because after you pay your bills, you have to live your life. And yes. <laughs> there's a lot of other things that benefits do for you that help you live your life. Like how many holidays do you get? How many vacation days and sick days do you get? If you're younger, 26 or below, you might still be on your parents' health insurance. So maybe you're not even looking at the health insurance plan. But once you turn 26, if you're still at that company, health insurance could be super important. So you need to know how much is that health insurance plan going to cost you? Yeah. And what it covers, you know, it might be a really cheap health insurance plan, but it might not cover what you need. Um, Like, for example, I have a weird 
dental situation. My mouth is pretty expensive, not to brag or anything. Um, (laughs) So I always have to look at dental insurance because I just know that my dental costs are going to be high. And so I always have to look at what are my plans? What do they cover? How much am I going to have to pay if something happens to a tooth? So those are things that I, I look at. Oh, yeah. My old plan had four cleanings per year. It was so nice. But oh. now I only get two. <laughs> Something else that you want to think about is, is it a high deductible plan or a traditional plan? A lot of people like the high deductible plans because they take less money out of your paycheck. So high deductible means low premium and traditional is normally a higher premium. But this is a little bit of a trap and you need to know what the deductible is because if you get in a car accident, you might be stuck paying a ton of money up front because the deductible is just so high. So at my old company, I think the individual deductible was like $6,000 or something insane like that. Yes. But I had the more expensive traditional healthcare plan. So my out-of-pocket costs were capped at $2,000 and I did get in a really bad car accident. And so because my out-of-pocket costs were capped, it was actually really helpful for me because I think literally by April, I had hit my out-of-pocket max. Mm. So then I didn't have to pay any more co-pays. And I was going to the doctor like four times a week. So it was really, really expensive. And then that just alleviated a lot of that cost. So that's something that's super important if you're going to be on that health plan. You need to look at if your doctor's in network, Mm -hmm. if there's doctors near you. So yeah, it's really important to read all of that boring stuff. They say health Wealth and time, I guess, are like the three things that people need to value. And you might think that wealth is the most important. But after COVID, I think we've learned that health is actually really important because if you don't have your health, then you lose a lot of money and you lose a lot of time. And also looking in not just necessarily the plans themselves, it's definitely important to look at that, but also looking at the cost per pay period of the different plans and seeing what's affordable for you. Um, You know, if you have a spouse, if you have other dependents, looking at the different costs for those plans, because some plans can be pretty low cost for one person, but when you add that dependent, it can get pretty expensive. And some companies are completely covering healthcare costs. So you just kind of, that's something you've got to factor in because maybe you have two offers at hand and one is $10,000 more in your salary, but you have to pay $150 every pay period for your health insurance and the other one, you don't have those costs. So they might end up being about the same take home because you're not paying for the health insurance, even though you have the health insurance. So those are all kind of things to look at. Exactly. I literally made a spreadsheet this most recent time that I was negotiating job offers because I was like, I need to know the exact value of the total compensation. Something else that's really helpful is if you don't have your master's degree and you want to get your master's degree, some companies will pay for your master's. Some companies only pay up to $52.50 a year, which is it's like has some tax implication for the company. So that's why they have that limit, which is like maybe one class per year, depending on the school that you go to. Mm -hmm. So you have to think about what's important to you and and what you want. Do you like taking a lot of vacation? Lauren, have you heard of people getting, quote, unlimited vacation at their jobs? Yes. And I know some people who I have a friend who works at an unlimited vacation company and she takes it and she always complains because she says the rest of her team doesn't take it. And then she feels guilty when she does take it because nobody is is using it. (laughs) Yeah, the reason why they created this unlimited vacation is because it saves the company tons of money per year. I don't remember how much it saves because it's company per company, but I actually know about the person who converted this one cyber company from regular vacation to quote unlimited vacation and he got a raise and a promotion because he was saving them so much money. And it's because people usually don't take that vacation. And the other reason is because they don't have to pay you out for it. Normally, when you leave a company, if you have vacation days accrued that you haven't taken, you get paid that as if it were a salary. So it's kind of nice because you might get Mm -hmm. an extra like two weeks of pay. But if you have quote, unlimited vacation, they don't owe you anything. So even if you haven't taken a vacation in three years, you won't get any extra money. (laughs) So that's how it saves 
the company money. And I think they've done studies that show that people really don't take the vacation. So it kind of depends on if your manager takes vacation. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of something I was looking for. During my interview process, my manager actually went on vacation or my potential manager went on vacation and he was unreachable. And I really enjoyed that because Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, this means that when people go on vacation, they're actually respected and they're not expected to be on call all the time. So that help me decide to take the job. Yeah. And I think that ties back to our episode earlier in the series. Um, in our interviewing episodes, one of some of the advice that we gave was really interviewing the company when you're going through the process. Like it's not just about you being interviewed, but interviewing the interviewer and um, getting a feel for the company culture. And so paying attention to things like that is so important because then when you're going through these benefits and you see vacation time or you see like a flexible schedule or even maybe like parental leave. You can ask these questions. You can kind of get a feel for, are people taking their vacation? Are people taking their leave? What are the hours they're working? You know, even though you might be salaried, meaning you're not punching in on a time clock all the time, are people working 40 hours a week? Are they working 60 hours a week? Are they working 80 hours a week? And then kind of trying to do the math to come into what your hourly salary would be assuming the hours and schedule of the people in the company. Oh, yeah. And Lauren, what was that phrase that you said that people like to call this? Oh, yes. I call this the chill to pay ratio. I did not come up with this. I love but it. it <laughs> I, I heard it and I was like, yes, this is this is what I'm describing. So it's the idea of the level of chill and a job to the level of pay. And so the idea is that you should be as close to one as possible if you divided chill by pay. So if you have a lot of chill, but no pay, you would end up with a giant number. If you had zero chill and a huge salary, you end up with basically zero. So we're always trying to find that balance for you of your chill to pay ratio, how much work for the salary that you're getting and figuring out what your chill and what your pay looks like. But I think that's like a pretty good metric. And it's kind of more of a a gut check. Yeah, I definitely feel like as I've gotten older, I've had other priorities. And I realized that I want to have a a more chill job because if my job's taking up all of my time, then that means that I can't do things like this podcast or hang out with my friends or hang out with my dog or work towards a elevated degree. Mm -hmm. So it's really important for me to just like have those hobbies and like be able to go to the gym if I want or see my family. And I really have started valuing that more. Whereas like when I first started out of my career, I was like, oh, I don't know. I can just work all the time because I have nothing else better to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think for me, like when I am looking at a job offer, You know, I definitely have things that I go through when I get that first initial offer. And there's like five things that I will generally look at in the offer package first. But when I'm considering whether or not I actually want to take the role, for me, it is a very holistic approach where I consider the expectations of the role, the time commitment, the type of work that I'll be doing. That's really important to me. I want to be very intentional with the kind of work I'm doing, not necessarily from a mission standpoint, but from growing my technical skills and focusing on a technical area. And then I look at that total compensation to see how that compares to those expectations. And then I can just tell if it feels balanced or not. And then that's how I decide if it's a good fit for me. So what are the five things that you look for? So obviously the first thing for me is salary. Then I look for 401k. Um, I look to see, is there any... 401k matching, if there's any sort of like restrictions or anything on the 401k. I also like to look at who the 401k provider is. Generally, if I see Fidelity or Vanguard, I just feel a little bit better about it because I know those are established companies and they also have a lot of low rate or low fee investing. This is not financial advice. Don't don't take that as financial advice, but that's just been in my experience. I've enjoyed working with those two. I then go to vacation days and I look at the parental leave. As a woman of childbearing age, I look at maternity leave, but I also look and see what the options are for other options of parental leave, whether it's paternity leave 
whether it's fostering, adopting, because that gives me a really good clue in to the company culture as a whole. And when I see that parental leave is equal between mother and father, that to me signals that a company is pretty focused on families and taking care of kids, as well as offering assistance for fostering children or adopting children. I feel like for me, that is a very clear culture indicator. And then I also look at the, (laughs) I look at the dental insurance because as I said, I have a messed up mouth. So that's important to me. And then I will just scan through for any other diversity and inclusion initiatives because that's something else that's really important to me. It's not always in the offer letter. A lot of times I can get that through the interview process itself, but I do look to see if there's anything that jumps out to me in particular. Yeah, that's really important. I think something that I don't know if we're going to talk about it later, but 401k matching can be really confusing. So if you don't know what a 401k is, that is your retirement account. And maybe you're like, I need money now. Why do I need to invest in my retirement? And there's so many studies, so we're not going to go into this, but you need to start investing now in your retirement because time is on your side and you Mm -hmm. need to start investing now so that that money grows. Just Google a graph of exponential (laughs) growth or compound interest growth and you'll see what we're talking about. And it'll make a lot more sense. (laughs) Yeah. And so 401k matching is really important because that means that the company cares about your retirement. So they might be giving you free money based on a percentage of your salary. I always look for a 401k match Mm -hmm. also because it's really helpful for you to be forced to put money away for retirement and you get enticed to do it to get that match. But a pitfall of that is you need to know the vesting schedule of your 401k because if it's not immediately vested, which means that it belongs to you, that means that even though the company is maybe matching 10% of your salary, maybe you don't actually get all of those matches until you've been with the company for a certain period of time. Yeah. So you need to know how much they're matching, how much you have to put in to get that match, and when the money actually belongs to you. Yeah. And I will point out, so anything that you put into your 401k, so anything that comes out of Lauren's salary, anything that comes comes out of Christine's salary, we would always, you always have access to your contributions. It's just those employer contributions that you might have to wait some time for. And I can just run through a quick example for those of you who might not be familiar with it. So to make the math easy, let's say you have a salary of $100,000 and you contribute $10,000 to your 401k and your employer is contributing 5% and the company stipulates that you will fully vest after a calendar year. So you're contributing to your 401k after six months. If you look at your 401k account, you'll have $7,500 in there. 5,000 of that will be your, your contributions and 2,500 will be your employer contributions. If you decided to leave the company at six months, you would only get to take your $5,000 with you. And that other $2,500, I guess, goes back to the employer. I don't really know what happens with it, but it doesn't come with you. That's the important thing. Whereas like after 12 months, you'll have $15,000 in your 401k. $10,000 of that will be your contributions. $5,000 of that will be your employer contributions. And if you left after that year, you get to take all $15,000 dollars with you when you leave. So that's why it's so important to know your vesting schedule because then you get to take all of that money with you and you're not leaving like that free money on the table. Yeah, that's super important. Sometimes it can be a little bit more complicated than that, but that's kind of at a high level, the the gist of it. And it's important to know that that fully vested date. Yeah, I think the same thing goes with stocks and equity. And a lot of these plans can be really complicated. So you need to make sure you ask the right questions. When it comes to stock, whether it's restricted stock units that are granted to you, or if it's, quote, stock that's given in shares of equity, you need to know what your strike price is because they might say, oh, we're giving you a thousand shares, but like, what does a thousand shares mean? Is it a thousand dollars? Well, it's depending on the strike price. So if they give you a thousand shares, but the strike price is one cent, then that's one mm. cent times a thousand dollars. So that's a lot less money versus if the strike price was a dollar or eight dollars. Yeah 
or $100. But then there's also all of the mechanics because a lot of those things don't come into effect unless they get bought or IPO. So again, that's why we kind of call that money, especially equity, like the cherry on top, because it's pretty risky. There is a chance you may not see that money. And you have to figure out if it's granted or if it's optioned to you, because oftentimes you actually have to pay that amount of money. So when it comes to a strike price, that means that you have the option to buy the stock at some certain discounted price. So if you don't have enough money in the bank to actually buy at your strike price, then you can't exercise any of those options because you can't afford those options. So you need to have some kind of money in the bank that you're saving so that you can actually exercise your options when they vest or when they become available to you. That's something that I just want to remind people. Yeah, it's not all about the money, but like it is a lot about the money. (laughs) Yeah. And it's always important to read the fine print on all of this stuff. I have never had to deal with some of these stock options and equity and things like that. So for me, sometimes I hear that and I get very scared. There are a lot of resources online and maybe one day I would love to get like a an expert on it in to help us walk through some of the common things. But I think the biggest thing is to read the fine print and ask questions when you don't understand something. Because if you're signing an offer, you should understand what you're committing to and how to maximize that offer. You know, um, it might not necessarily harm you to not understand what it what's happening, but it means you could be leaving money on the table. And we want all of our hackers to get the most out of a job offer. Yeah, there's anything you have a question about, you need to ask because certain companies have certain restrictions. So as an example, some companies really care about intellectual property and they want to own that intellectual property. So you want to make sure if you have any side projects, especially us as programmers, as hackers, we might have a lot of side hobbies that have to do kind of with our jobs, like this podcast. So you have to make sure that you're allowed to continue that side project while working at this new company. So that's something that you should ask the recruiter and ask the manager because you want to make it known that this is something that you want to do and you don't want to get to the company and then kind of have a rude awakening where you find out that you can't follow your passion because they have some kind of restriction against it. Yeah, definitely. And there's a lot of companies out there that have rules about this. So again, read the fine print ask questions. Okay, so Lauren, what if you're a hacker queen and you have multiple job offers? Okay, so the first thing, if you're interviewing, I always recommend interviewing multiple places. I know we've said that many times throughout the series. Even if you only want to end up with one company, you just get the practice. It's invaluable from interviewing multiple places. But The upside of that is you could find yourself in a position where at the end of this interview process, you have multiple offers. A lot of times when you get a job offer, they will give you an expiration date. And depending on when you're getting this role, you'll have different timelines attached to it. So generally, I would say job offers for your first job while you're still in college tend to have a longer window to accept. But When you're a working professional, generally they give you one, maybe two weeks to accept an offer, and that can make things a little tight if you're interviewing at multiple places at the same time. First thing you should do is try to time your interview schedule so that the end of the interview process, the offers would kind of line up on the same schedule. Yeah, something that you can do is you can tell the other companies you're interviewing with that you have a quote suspense, which is usually the term that they use for when the answer is due by for that job offer. So if the recruiters want you and if the company wants you, they might be able to push your job offer through their process a little bit faster Mm -hmm. because you say that you have a a suspense for another job and they don't want to risk you taking that job and turning theirs down only because they couldn't move it through fast enough. So on the flip side, if you do want to stall, sometimes you can stall by just asking more questions. Something that's really important for me working at a company is that I don't want to be the only woman Mm -hmm. in the room. I think I really shouldn't be the only woman on my team. (laughs) Like there's so many women in cybersecurity, so many women in computing. And if a company is really struggling to find women, I definitely applaud them for trying to find more women. But I don't feel comfortable at this time being my age and my experience 
being the only woman because you know what? I've done that before and I honestly prefer having more diversity in the room. Mm -hmm. So not only do I kind of look for having other women, but I will ask them if I can meet more people on the team, specifically a woman, and see how long it takes them to find me a woman. (laughs) (laughs) I have done that before. And there's been a few times, especially when I was interviewing at smaller places, where they're like, well, we can't find a woman in engineering, but here's other women we can connect you with. And then here's our head of diversity and recruiting. And like, let's get you on a call and let's talk strategy. Let's talk about your role. And sometimes that's a good sign. Sometimes it's not. So that is a great way to buy time. It's kind of a win-win because you can stall, get more time to negotiate your other offers, but also get to meet more of your potential coworkers Mm -hmm. and get a better read on the company. And it's, honestly important to be honest. Tell the recruiters that you're expecting another offer because they will take that into account and they might even give you more money just because they're trying to entice you. Yeah. And there are some kind of caveats that come with that. You can use another offer as leverage, but you should be prepared to kind of balance that out by saying under which conditions you would be happy to kind of like forego the other options in your offer and accept an offer with company A versus company B. And you could say something like, you know, I have an offer from company B, but I'm more interested in the work that you're doing here. So I would really love to work with you to find an offer that would let me accept a role here. You know, you're still trying to work with them, build that offer for yourself without necessarily committing one way or the other. That's such a good point. Because I actually, when I first was graduating college, there was a company that asked me if I had any other offers. Mm -hmm. And I did from a very prestigious university. And they felt like they couldn't compete. So then they canceled my interview. Mm. Honestly, for them, it was right for them to do too, because I honestly wasn't very excited about them as a company. Yeah. And the other job was my dream job. So I think maybe they could tell how excited I got when I was talking about it and that they could tell I was going to yeah. accept it. So don't sound too excited about the other jobs if you're, if it's not like your dream job. Yeah, definitely. And you never want to oversell or pit the two offers against each other in such a way that at the end of the process, you're left with no offers where you're, you know, you're, you're telling company A, oh, I'm so gung-ho about company B. And you're telling company B, oh, I'm so gung-ho about company A. And they both pull back. It's really important to kind of check in and say, really, really lay out those conditions or what draws you to that company so that they think you're still invested in the process and they're more inclined to work with you to give you what you want. And part of that might come with tough questions. So it helps going in to prepare for the tough questions so you don't lie when they ask them and that you can answer them confidently, concisely, and you're not dragging it out. If you're confident and concise, I think that is much more powerful for negotiation than a wishy-washy or not being confident in your answers. Yeah, I agree because they want to feel that you're likely to accept the offer because When you think about it, it does take a lot of time and resources to put somebody through an interview Mm -hmm. process because that's time that the engineers are taking away from work. And that's not to say don't interview with a company that you're not sure you're interested in because, hey, that's an awesome interview experience for you. Mm -hmm. But I've had companies try to get me to confirm a verbal acceptance before I've even interviewed. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not going to tell you that I'm likely to accept it until after I go through the interview process because there's no way for me to know. So Yeah, and some of those tough questions might be exactly what you're saying, Christine. Do you have other offers? Are we your top choice? If we make you an offer tomorrow, would you say yes? And, you know, we said you want to answer honestly because then you also don't have to backtrack it later. But I think it's really important to consider the intent of the question because it's probably, they're probably not asking to trip you up or to catch you or put you on the defensive. It's probably because they're genuinely interested in you and interested in where you are in the process. So if you can get to the intent of the question, then that also helps you answer it because you can answer the intent behind the question without necessarily answering that question directly. So 
Christine, if you were to ask me a question, why don't you throw one at me and I'll try to come up with an example on the spot and we'll see how I do. It could be good. It could be terrible. (laughs) Okay, Lauren, is Her Hacks Podcast your top choice company? If I were to make you an offer tomorrow, would you say yes? So I am really excited about Her Hacks. I think there are so many opportunities and I could bring so much to the table, but I would need to look at the entire package before I commit to anything. But this is definitely the kind of role and the company I'm looking for. I feel like I'll really have an opportunity to showcase my my ideas, my idea generation, and it'll be an opportunity for me to grow and improve my public speaking. That's a great answer. Thank you. Um, I th- That was a really good uh, question that you put in here. I think that sometimes it can be really hard because you want to sound excited, but you also don't want to give a verbal yes even though again like if it's not in writing they can't really hold you to it but you don't want them to say oh I thought you said you were going to accept and now you're not so putting those caveats in there like hey it's really about the entire package hey I want to meet more of the team Mm -hmm. like really any of that stuff is totally valid and the recruiter will understand because one of the best negotiation tactics that you should use with somebody is it's not me against you We're on the same team Mm -hmm. and we both want me to accept this job offer. So we're both going to work together to find something that's going to make both of us happy. And that's like a really great way for you to approach that. Yeah. And I think that Christine is a perfect segue into how to actually have the conversation where you ask for more. So at this point in the process, you know your number, you've gotten the offer, You've read through the entire offer, read all of the fine print, and you found that the offer they've given you maybe doesn't meet some of your needs or you want something more. And one of the things you just said that I loved was working together. And I think the first rule of asking for more is not negotiating just to negotiating. It's negotiating to get what you need to be comfortable or feel good about the package. It's not about being greedy. It's not about trying to squeeze a company dry. It's trying to get the best situation for you so you feel really good about the role. Exactly. I completely agree. I definitely think it's a bit of a red flag when sometimes recruiters don't want to give you a certain amount, but you can't base a company off of the recruiters because the recruiter is not actually who you're working with. Mm -hmm. Uh, on a day-to-day basis. So I've actually had recruiting situations before where I was talking to the recruiter and I was like, well, how come you didn't offer me the top of the pay band? I thought you said it was this. And now I'm getting offered the midpoint of the pay band. Uh, But I thought you said you were so excited about my candidacy. And then they said, well, it's not all about the money. And I was a bit taken aback because Mm -hmm. I was like, how could they accuse me of, you know, being all about the money? And I just kind of calmed down for a little bit. And I was like, well, of course, I know it's not all about the money. We both know it's not all about the money because we both wouldn't be working at a nonprofit if we only cared about money. Mm -hmm. So I tried to kind of refute the statement, but also show that we're on the same team. And I think that's a really good point because negotiating can be awkward and it feels bad for everybody when it's awkward and uncomfortable. And it's important to take a step back and remember that the person across the table from you is also a human. They're also trying to do their job. And so taking that second to be patient, to calm down and like approach it with the right tone, which it sounds like what you did. It seems like that is, that is a really good way to reestablish that negotiation. And the more likable you are, the more likely somebody is to go out of their way or push to get you what you want. Um, and so I think it's so important to have that grace, have that likability and be considerate and be polite while also being professional. Yeah, because you do want to get what you're worth, Mm -hmm. but you also don't want to burn bridges. So if something's important to you, absolutely feel like you need to negotiate that, Mm -hmm. but don't haggle over every little teeny tiny aspect of it. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, as long as you're able to pay your bills and you know you're going to like your team, you don't want to press for like kind of crazy or like everything perfect because Mm -hmm. 
the grass is always greener. Nothing is going to be exactly perfect to your specification. And actually, one of the things that I like to do when I'm going into a negotiation and I've read through everything, I make a list and I prioritize it of everything I want to change. I pick out, you know, most of the time an offer doesn't have a ton that I want to haggle. It's just a few things. So if I have a relatively like small and concise list, I will send that over to the recruiter all at once, but I'll make it clear what the priority is. So that way they know to focus on, oh, I would like, I would like an increase in the sign-on bonus and I would like more vacation days. And I would like, uh, I'm trying to think of another lower priority ask. Oh, and I would like a desk by a window, right? Oh, have you ever been able to negotiate more vacation days? Okay. So actually most recently, yes, because When I was job interviewing the last time, I was getting married. I was job interviewing in September and was getting married in December. And so I knew that I wouldn't have time to accrue full vacation days. But that was something that I was very honest with from the beginning. Even when I started recruiting with a company, I just said, hey, I have this really big life event coming up. I am going to need 30 days off. I know it's a lot, but I already have accrued that at my old company. I've been saving it for a year. That's what I'm going to need to be able to come over. And ultimately, actually, what ended up happening is instead of giving me those 30 vacation days, they gave me a flexible start date and said, we will give you an offer now in September, but you can come in and work for us after your wedding. Um, And so it wasn't necessarily like I didn't get the 30 vacation days. I think I ended up with four weeks, which is 20 days, but I got the flexibility that I needed. And that was a really good compromise. And so I think stating what the priority is and also explaining why you're asking for more, it really helps. If I had said 30 days, non-negotiable, take it or leave it, they probably would have left it. But when I explained it was for a really big life event, they could help me achieve my goal and we could find something that was good for both of us. Oh, wow. See, like, that's really awesome. I've I've never had like a, a real reason to want more vacation besides that I like vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I like having days off. So I've never asked for more vacation days besides saying, hey, I get this at my current company, so I'm not willing to take less than yes. that. But yeah, I've done that before too. That has more helped me screen out jobs than necessarily mm-hmm. be able to get more days. Yeah. I haven't been able to figure that out yet, which I would like to do well, <laughs> just get married, you know, just pay for a really expensive event and just demand more time off. Oh, and do something really stressful, such as changing jobs, right as you're getting <laughs> married, maybe throw in buying a house, doing all this other really stressful stuff, and uh, it'll, it'll all work out, you know? <laughs> something that was really important to me after going through my car accident was I realized that first of all, I needed to have cash in hand because Mm. health insurance is very expensive. And the company that I was going with only offered a high deductible plan. And so I realized that with a high deductible plan, you're on the hook for a lot more money up front than with a traditional healthcare plan. So I told them that I was like, hey, listen, I have very predictable healthcare costs with my current plan. I really want to come to your company, but this health insurance that you're offering is going to make my healthcare costs wildly unpredictable and incredibly expensive. Mm -hmm. And so they ended up increasing my sign-on bonus, but they also normally would split the sign-on bonus 50-50 between year one and year two. Mm -hmm. Instead, they gave me 65% year one just so that I could have that extra money that I told them that I needed because of trying to kind of get used to this healthcare plan and figure out like what my costs are going to be. So I completely agree, like explaining why you need something and why you're asking for it, saying it's market value or, you know, market compensation for that role. We know that because we're at this point where they're giving you an offer. So that's definitely a good reason. But like, if you really want more stock because like you just really want to like take that chance and bank on that company and you really believe in the company, like say you want more stock. Mm If you're about to buy a house and you need money for a down payment, say, hey, I would really prefer to forego stock and just get a huge sign-on bonus. So yeah, there's definitely ways to negotiate. um, I asked for a higher salary and signing bonus because at my new company, graduate school wasn't covered 
but it was covered by the last employer. So I kind of did the mental math of like, here's the amount that I need to get my the rest of my education covered. Here's why I'm asking for it. And they were like, okay, that's fair. We can do that. That's awesome. Yeah, I also, it, you have to think about what you need when you're leaving. Like if you're leaving a company and you might owe them money for classes yes. that you've taken, always try to negotiate that into the sign-on bonus. Mm -hmm. And remember, bonuses are taxed at like 50%. Yes. So <laughs> if you're going to owe your last company $15,000, you don't need a $15,000 sign-on bonus. You need a $30,000 sign-on bonus because yeah. 15000 of that is going to be taken away and then you give the rest of the company. So something else you might want to do is if you really want a sign-on bonus, tell all this information to your recruiter and they might say, okay, we'll give you a $45,000 sign-on bonus because we realize that half of it's going to get taken away, half of it you're going to have to pay back, and then you'll have some money left mm -hmm. over. Yeah. And if you are listening to this and you're like, wow, this is so daunting, how do you have the confidence to go in and do that? I think part of the prep work for going into a negotiation is just reminding yourself of what you have to offer, thinking about your years of experience within the industry, your skills, your certification, your degrees, even if you're coming in right out of college, that's also leverage. That's also experience. You can say, I'm bringing in fresh ideas. I may, I'm bringing in fresh talent. Or if you're making a career change, you can say, even if 100% of the skills aren't transferable, you can still bring in those skills from your past experience and you can explain and just, you can use what you have to offer as a place of power and a way to feel confident in yourself. And then once you know what you need, it all just kind of comes together and it's something that you get better at with time. But doing that groundwork and do it, laying that foundation of knowing what you need, I think that just gives you that confidence because if somebody, if the recruiter pushes back on you, you know where you can wiggle and where you can't. Yeah. Something else that you have to bear in mind with the interview process is it's a lot of hurry up and wait. Mm -hmm. So you have the interview and then you have to wait for them to decide. Now you have the negotiation or you have the, the first offer, but now that you've entered negotiations, you're going to have to wait for them to get approvals. You're probably not the only one that HR is writing job offers mm -hmm. for. Maybe it's the end of the fiscal year and everyone's like super busy, scrambled, running yeah. around doing other things. Maybe your hiring manager is going on vacation, so they have to pass it off to somebody else. So just remember to be patient and keep them aware of your deadlines, but you're going to have to be prepared to wait a little bit because sometimes it does take time to get things approved. So just stay in contact with your recruiter. Yeah. And along the lines of being patient, remember when you are communicating, you want to be likable. And also just think about before you send an email, if I take this job offer and I see this person in the hallway or the elevator, is it going to be awkward? Like, did I, did I create tension where there didn't need to be tension? So remember, you're already there. They already like you. They already want you. It's just finding out what works for you. And I think also the last thing I would say for this is understand the constraints that recruiters or a company might have. You can ask for the moon, but a company might not be able to give it to you. And if they come back and they say, hey, you know, our salary cap is this much. You've asked for $10,000 over. I can't give you any more money in your salary. You need to respect that and not continue to push on it. You can try to figure out what can help you make up for that, whether it's more vacation days, a larger signing bonus, maybe a flexible start date. Maybe you want to take a month off and travel, trying to figure out like what works for you, but also not being so inflexible that you can't work with them, if that yeah. makes sense. That makes total sense. I definitely feel like if you come off as inflexible, they might get frustrated with you because at the end of the day, when you work at a company and you need to work on a team, you need to be flexible. So if it's this hard to negotiate with you on the job offer, maybe they'll take that as a red flag as like them not being a good mm -hmm. fit for you. But on the flip side, if you really, really need a job, maybe you do have to accept that job offer, mm -hmm. even if it's not what you need. But if you are in a job that is okay and is paying your bills and you kind of have the luxury to not just accept this other job 
regardless of what it is. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you really need to just walk away because if a job isn't going to give you what you need, it's not worth it to leave what you have because the grass is not always greener. And sometimes walking away from a job offer can actually work out in your favor. Yeah. So I, I a hundred percent agree with everything you just said, Christine. And actually when I was interviewing for a role, you know, I mentioned that those five things I look at, and then I consider the the total, the total package. Then I also consider like where I am and what I can give to the role and how much I can contribute. And um, when I got this job offer, I just felt like at the time it wasn't the right fit for me because I couldn't offer 100% of myself at the time. And I felt like it was a company and a role that really deserved that. And then there were a few things that were lacking for me on the compensation side. Um, Specifically, maternity leave wasn't where I wanted it to be. And even though that wasn't something that I actively needed, it's as a woman of childbearing age, it's something that I always consider because should my husband and I decide to have a baby, I want to be at a company that values that. And so I ultimately turned down the role and the recruiter was very nice. And I just kind of explained, you know, I am in the process of getting married (laughs) or planning a wedding, I guess is how most people would say that. I am planning a wedding. I don't think that I can be 100% present in this role. And here are the things that are missing for me. I would love to stay in touch because I'm very excited about this company and I could really see myself doing very well here. I just don't think it's the right fit for me at this time. The recruiter came back to me a week or two later, and they said, hey, we talked to the team. They really liked you. What if you start in six months? Oh, and by the way, we also bumped up maternity leave for the whole company based on your feedback. And that was just a very special thing. And I ended up going with that company. I mean, it wasn't 100% based on my feedback, but it was it was part of the feedback. I don't want to like oversell myself there. But <laughs> I, mean, I think it's incredible. Like you, it's like being willing to walk away mm-hmm. if it's not worth it to you. Mm-hmm is a really powerful thing to do. I guess I say vote with your feet. And that company wanted you so much and all of your negotiations were incredibly valid that they realized, hey, our company policy needs to change because this person literally didn't accept our job offer. (laughs) So I I wanted you to tell that story because I just literally was in awe of it when it happened. And I want it to empower our listeners to not be afraid to turn down a job Mm -hmm. offer if it's not what they need, because it's not worth it to lower your quality of living for a job. And I was very fortunate, right, that I had a job that I was in that I could still continue to work at and was still getting a good salary. And I had a partner who was who still is, he's still around. It was very supportive. And, you know, I had that space to make that decision. I had that time to make that decision. But, you know, it was, I felt a lot better once I had pushed it off. And then once they came back to me, it was so many things. It was like, wow, they value me. Wow, they heard me. Wow, they are considering changing and adjusting the culture of their company based on the feedback I gave. And that was just a very powerful, it wasn't even necessarily just that, okay, you you met the boxes that I want. It also signaled to me that they were listening and that they were willing to take my feedback into consideration. And so it just gave me such a good feeling. And that's why I ultimately ended up negotiating back into that offer because I felt very heard. And so it was, it was good. It was, we both, I think, both me and the company walked away feeling very good about that experience at the end of the day. Yeah, that's so awesome. So I think we're coming to the point where we want to give some of our last advice Mm -hmm. and last anecdotes about other things related to the job offer. So one thing, especially for like Silicon Valley jobs that I wanted to mention is best and final literally means they can't get you anything else. Um, And this specifically is related to total compensation. So oftentimes they break down the job into salary, bonus, and stock. So if you're negotiating back and forth, if they come back once and you kind of act like you don't want the job or that it's not enough, they will keep going back and keep trying to get it more approved. And you might get to iterate through this maybe two times, maybe three times. But once the recruiter says best and final, 
they'll usually give you a suspense. And that means that they literally can't get any more money approved for that role. Now's your time to decide. And then I think another big thing is if you're nervous, practice with a friend. Like we said, negotiating is awkward and talking about money isn't something that natu- that comes naturally to most of us. So Practice many times with a friend, a partner, even just speaking out loud to your pet and getting down what you're going to say and that confident tone, that'll help so much and it'll make you feel good going into it. Yeah, I love that. I definitely feel like the more you talk about it, the more comfortable you'll get. Definitely. Like we said before, money isn't everything. It does help. A company with a good team that you think you're really going to enjoy working with or a good culture is really going to impact how you feel about your day-to-day life because you're probably going to be spending about 40 hours per week with these people. You definitely want to make sure that you like the culture of the team. And if you don't know enough of the team members, use your negotiation process to kind of re-interview and get more interview time to meet more of your immediate team members. Yeah. And I think one, this episode has been very much focused on the money, the benefits, the offer. The last piece of advice I feel like is really also important to consider the role that you're going to get. Like that is ultimately part of the offer. That's what you're going to be doing day to day. Make sure it's what you want to be doing and make sure that it feels balanced for where you are in your life. Always going back to that chill to pay ratio of, am I going to meet my long-term career goals? How much energy am I going to be expending compared to the total compensation that you're getting and really going with that gut check of is this right for me and is this what I need to live the life I want yeah I think that's so great and like your story if you turn down an offer make sure you be polite because you don't want to burn bridges and like Lauren you might actually be able to get that dream role and compensation with a package that fits your needs because the company Mm -hmm. heard what you had to say. We've even heard a story of interns turning down roles and then being offered more money or more benefits. If you're just looking for internships and you haven't listened to our intern series, make sure you check that out. But this could apply to you as well. And thank you guys so much for listening through our entire Hacking the Technical Interview series. It's been so much fun to put together. Like Christine said, we've done it. We want to pay it forward. Share share our wealth with our hackers. Thank you guys for listening to our Hacking the Technical Interview series. If you've been listening to all of the episodes, you know how to find the job you want to apply for polish off that resume all the way through to negotiating the offer and the role that is right for you. If you enjoyed our interview series and you want to stay up to date with all of the Her Hacks news, give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at Her Hacks Podcast. You can also send us your own questions, stories. If you want to share negotiating wins, negotiating challenges, Her Hacks is here for you. Reach out to us through our social media and you might be able to be featured in a future episode we're also a new podcast so please subscribe so you don't miss an episode and leave us a star for each of the five hosts remember know your worth hacker queens never be afraid to ask for more i had a thought and i i lost it